Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. It's March Madness week, which is like grab your alcohol, grab your benzo, grab your blunt, or whatever it is that you need to settle down. Maybe a little bit of all of the above. It's a nerve-wracking time for me. Anyone that knows me knows that this is not a fun time for me at any point in any year. I don't enjoy a minute of this. I'm a nervous wreck. A little bit less pressure this year because Michigan State is the underdog of underdogs to do anything in this tournament. But still, we're Spartans. We're stressed, right? And I'm sure Michigan, who has a lot more at stake and a lot more to lose, all the Michigan fans out there are losing their minds, pulling their hair out, and grabbing some alcohol or whatever their uh, numbing substance is. In a situation like this, when you have March Madness on the horizon and basketball season is at its peak, I like to go to the experts, of which I'm not one. I'm more of a, a whiner. I'm more of a guy that just complains a lot and makes a good point for every seven things I say. But there are experts out there, and one of them is across from me, my good friend, David Klein of Spartan Hoops. Welcome, David. I appreciate it. He might be overstating the expert part, but uh, I do like to dabble. I think so. you, I, I've said you are like the Spartan half of the dynamic duo on Twitter. You're the Spartan half. Our other friend, Anthony Wright, is the, is the Michigan Wolverine half. Don't sell yourself short, Spartan Hoops. You guys, I'm a VIP member of you guys. Big fan of yours. Been a fan from day one since before you launched. I've been a fan of yours personally. I couldn't think of somebody better to talk Michigan State on the eve of a tournament. One of the weirder tournaments, I think, from the Michigan State perspective. We've never really been in this first four situation before. It's our first tournament in two years. I think we were robbed of a much better opportunity, a much better kick at the can last year with the COVID situation. But I want to start with how the deck was set for this tournament. And I get called a fake Spartan, a bad Spartan, a, a Debbie Downer. And you know what? The Debbie Downer might be fair. The fake Spartan, not so much. I bleed green and white. But look, the bracket comes out. And Michigan State fans had some anxiety about whether they would even be in the field. I personally did not. Turns out they're in the first four, which is. For those of you that don't know the first four, I'm sure 99% of my audience does. But the first four is kind of like when they asked Marlon Brando to do a screen test for The Godfather. He's like the greatest actor ever, but he had to like rehearse. He had to sing for his dinner. Michigan State has to sing for their dinner. They're only like kind of in the tournament. They have to win a game to really qualify. It's an asterisk on the streak being extended if they don't beat UCLA on Thursday. And Michigan State Twitter, MSU Twitter as it's known, is apoplectic. Everyone's losing their minds. Michigan State got screwed. How is Syracuse in a better situation with the seeding? Everybody went fucking crazy. We're going to put a couple examples up. I, I could have pulled 700, but Ben is expensive as a producer and he, he bills hourly. So we had to limit it to like, what, three or four? Ben, can you throw these up? I mean, this was just a con line, a small sampling. Dave Revson, Big Ten Network, quote, I cannot get over the utter absurdity of Michigan State in the first four after beating two teams on the one line and one on the two line. It's laughable. So, you know, he's an objective observer. He's furious. Let's go to the next one. This is, this is, our, buddy, this is our buddy, Andy Isaac, who hopefully is watching. Great guy. 
get the fuck out of here, trash ass bums. Let's get some blue buds and blue bloods in the play-in game. Durr-her-her. So he's basically saying the committee just wanted to stick Michigan State and UCLA in for dollars, and that was the only reason Michigan State was dissed with the seating. By the way, I'm not discounting that as a criteria. Ain't the only one. Let's get to the last one. Spartan Avenue, no affiliation with Spiro Avenue. I honestly don't know which one of us came first. This is in response to someone else saying Michigan State's complaining. He says, because Michigan State got screwed. I would agree if Michigan State didn't have three of the best wins in college basketball in a two-week span. So let's end it with the examples there. Everyone went nuts. I thought this was wrong. I think Michigan State fans have gotten it wrong. I think this team deserved a tougher path. I don't think they deserved anything better than they got. Am I crazy? Where do you stand on this? No, I think I kind of had the same feelings as you. Um, You know, this team got blown out a bunch of different times uh, during the course of the year. They look at the whole body of work. The metrics didn't really like them. You know, at the end of the day, from what I've heard and understood of the committee, they look at some of your wins when they determine if you're in the tournament or not. When they're looking at the seeding, they're really looking at some of the metrics like the Ken Palm. We were right on the fringe. I think we finished at 56 in Ken Palm. So you're kind of right on that edge anyways. Yes, they had a really good two-week stretch. I think that we both can agree. I was pretty surprised that we saw that out of them to be able to put themselves in position to make the tournament. I'm really not that worked up about it at the end of the day. Um, you know, this playing game is basically, if you want to look back in the season, point to a moment where you could have resolved this issue, not played in this playing game, beat Purdue at home, and we're not in this conversation. Beat Maryland in the Big Ten tournament after you have that first 10-minute start. You know, they had many opportunities during the course of the season. I think it is pretty tremendous what the kids were able to do down the stretch to be able to overcome this, knowing that your back's against the wall, knowing that you're going to be the ones to break the streak. Really got to credit Aaron Henry from kind of just putting this team on his back and willing them forward to this spot. But I'm not going to get too worked up one way or the other. At the end of the day, if they beat UCLA, I think I like the draw with BYU better than I would. I think it's San Diego State over that Syracuse got. Um, you know, the athletic matchup for Michigan State's a little bit better in that game. You know, win a couple games and then we'll start crying about it one way or the other. But I just think at this point in the season, you can't really be too bitter about the fact that you're the playing game. Did did the money have something to do with it? It always does. We know that in college basketball. So at the end of the day, go out and win your game. Get yourself really in the tournament. I, I don't really see it as an asterisk because one way or the other, the playing field now is 68 teams. If you want to say this an asterisk, I, I think that they've made it. They've carried that through for me. So I, I won't put an asterisk on this if they end up losing. But end of the day, go out and beat UCLA. That's a game that's winnable. And then see what you got in BYU. Yeah, it's 135,000 living Michigan State alumni and the two people that think Michigan State didn't get screwed are both in this room. So I, I think you're coming from this in a really sane way. And everyone's citing, oh, how could you do this to Michigan State? They just beat Michigan. They just beat Illinois. They just beat Ohio State. But for those victories, you guys wouldn't be in at all. So I, I, I get it. Yeah, those were great wins. Thank goodness for them because but for them, even if you take away any one of those, with the fact that they were in the first four, if you lose any of those upset victories, and they were all in the moment pretty surprising, they're gone. They're not even in this situation. So I get citing those things. So those are the reasons you're in at all. You go through all the reasons. I'm not grabbing my pitch. Let's run down. I'm not grabbing my pitchfork for a team that lost 
by 30 to Rutgers, by 30 to Iowa. Worst loss, home loss in Izzo's career. Disgrace. By 25 to Minnesota, who just fired their coach because they stink. Lost by 19 to Michigan. Lost by 18 to Maryland. And then tack on two more double-digit losses to Purdue and Maryland again. So, look, I'm happy they're in. I was rooting for them to be in. I think the the Michigan State fan base, whom I'm a part of, whom I love dearly, I think they need to calm down and just be happy. You're right. It's not really an asterisk, but, man, they were close to missing it entirely. When you're in that first four, you just barely, by the skin of your teeth, made it. And I don't feel sorry for them. My stance on this, though, I will say this, and this has been my caveat from the beginning. They did deserve a better seed than Syracuse. I think they deserved a better situation than Syracuse, although you said the matchups might favor Michigan State anyway. So I think it can be both. I think it can be Michigan State probably didn't deserve better in a vacuum, but when you look at this other shitty program down the street in Syracuse, maybe they deserved better than them. I mean, is that kind of a fair summation? Absolutely fair. I think if you look at it, have they beaten Maryland? Maryland was kind of entering that bubble. They lost two games. I think it was to Penn State. Maybe it was Nebraska, I think, to end the season. It was a really brutal stretch. And so they kind of got bubbly a little bit, too. Had they beaten him, do they move to that 10-seed line? And then they have to see UConn, who's kind of playing a little bit hot, um, got a really good point guard again, and maybe is a team that you know could make a run. And then you see Alabama second. You know, I think in the long run, does it suck to play the playing game? Yes. But end of the day, win the game. You have a pretty good matchup in BYU, and maybe you can win a couple. And at this point in the season, did we think that that was possible You know, three weeks ago? The answer to that is no. So we've got ourselves in a situation where they have a chance to win a couple games in the tournament um, to just just have somewhat of an enjoyable part to end the season. Those wins were fun, but like a lot of the season has been a grind, a grind. It's been exhausting, you know, from a standpoint of writing it, from being a fan, from just trying to generally figure out what this team is. And I, I don't think we still know that. I think it remains to be seen which version of this team shows up on Thursday. Um, and that, I guess, is the fun of being a Michigan State fan. Fun, I guess. I mean, I, I I have no idea what to make of this team. It has, in a way, I mean, basketball and football, it's it's apples to oranges just in every way. But there are some similarities to the football team where it's like you're either stunned because they win a game that no one thought they could win, Michigan, Northwestern for yeah. the football team, and the list does end there, or they get just their doors blown off. I mean, the fact that this team has beaten two one seeds and a two seed, and none of those games were fluky. I mean, they like won those three they asserted their will but yet yet has like five or six losses by 25 plus it's a confounding team the one thing i'll say looking at them versus 2011 which i consider the other biggest disappointing year in the Izzo era just personally in terms of underachieving that 2011 team preseason number two i think this team was what six or something that team legitimately underachieved they tanked Darrell summers just like gave up on basketball and life that senior year i don't know what was going on between his years this team just isn't that good, is my takeaway. They, if they play perfect, if everything goes well, they can do good things. But they have zero margin for error. Do you think they've underachieved, or are they just this is kind of what they are, a fringe tournament team? Oh, man, that's a great question. The issue that I have is it took 75% of the season for the staff to play the right rotation, the right guys in the right spots. So how can we know what exactly this team would have been? Had we had maybe a little bit more of an extended non-conference, had we had a little bit more of an off-season. I know everybody went through the same things, but you're replacing a generational point guard, 
and a guy who's as important on the defensive end and you know Xavier Tillman as Cassius Winston was on the offensive end. And I think that what you saw was we're so used to just plugging and playing and saying Izzo's going to figure it out, right? Well, this season he came, Watts obviously has the struggles that he went through. Um, and had he played well throughout the season, I think the rest of the pieces would have fallen into place. And that wasn't the case. Um, the center rotation was an absolute disaster for long, long stretches this year. I still am a little bit frustrated personally with Marcus Bingham's playing time. Uh, to me, he's 20 or 25 minutes, chalk it in. I mean, all the metrics love him. I just think that when I go back and rewatch the film, he makes such an impact. His length is unbelievable. He's starting to rebound better. Does he need to add another 20 pounds on his body? Yeah, but like he's starting to become a threat on that dunker spot offensively. Like he's really starting to put it together and blossom into the player that we thought he could be. And yet, like he plays 24 minutes against Michigan and dominates that game, in my opinion, when I went back and watched. And then he plays against Maryland 14 minutes. Like, what are we doing? We're still at this point in the season where I don't know what to make quite of the minutes. Um, Gabe Brown is in the same boat for me. You know, Josh Langford has really struggled down the stretch. Last six games, he is shooting below 30% from the field, under 20% from three, and like not taking like a few shots. Like he's taking 52 shots over it. Like, High volume struggles. Right. And, you know, uh, Gabe Brown was in the doghouse, didn't play the second half that Maryland game. I just don't know what to make that we're still teaching guys lessons at this point. Like it seemed to me that they found some of that mojo playing that four guard wing combination with Brown, Henry and Langford all playing alongside each other in the Indiana game. He's kind of gone away from that a little bit the last couple of games. I don't really understand it. Malik Hall's obviously played much better, but I think generally speaking, it's been really tough to assess what this team could have been when 80% of the season was spent by the staff spinning their wheels, when to me it was just so apparent basically 10 games in where this team should have been headed. And I just think he really, really struggled with trust with the players this year, and that's why we kind of ran into this position where we we struggled during the course of the season. I agree. I, I think this is, and look, one of the years has to be the worst, so everyone calm down. I can already feel the wrath. But this is Tom Izzo's worst coaching job at Michigan State for a season, in my opinion. That door is open. If he rips off some wins and goes to the Elite Eight, it's all forgiven. But to this point, as we stand here right now, what, March 16th, it's the worst job he's ever done. Now, best coach in program history, one of the 10 best coaches ever, even his worst is better than a lot of guys' best. I think it's been the worst year he's had ever here. Is that fair? I think that has been a real struggle. I think personnel wise, it's been a tough year for him just trying to find, you know, the point guard and center rotation in college basketball. You build your team up the middle. It's the two most important positions. I think it's a little different in the NBA, the wing more oriented that way. But college basketball, it starts with the one in five. He didn't ever trust or feel confident with anybody until like, you know, this latter part of the season. So is it his worst year ever? I mean, I'd have to really go back and look and think about it. But I, I thought the start was just brutal. And it's been it's been a rough year for the staff. He's done, I think he's done a poor job. And it just I can't imagine. I know you haven't had Twitter because Twitter wasn't a thing for every single Tom Izzo season. But if you had had Twitter throughout Tom Izzo's career since 1997, I'm guessing you would have never done more bitching than you did this year. All justified, by the way. Yeah. Your, your account was fuming about the big man rotation all year. And you were right. You had it locked in the whole way. And, you know, you brought it up organically, unsolicited. My buddy Bill McCurdy and I were talking before the show about this. We we sort of had the same pet peeve. And you mentioned it, where it's like this constant juggling of the lineups for three months. Every single year, it's cost us three or four games. I'm convinced 
where it's like we lose a game by two or three because he has to get kithier 16 minutes or whatever. I just think he's had a terrible year. And again, the door's open for redemption. I would love to have anyone in Michigan State Spartan Nation laugh in my face about this recording, cut it up, make fun of me in a couple of weeks if it all goes north for Michigan State. I just, to this point, it's been a disaster. I want to keep it on Izzo for a second. I think he's had some sour grapes. He is, and again, look, my license plate is Tom Izzo. It's literally T-M-I-Z-Z-O. I'm the biggest Tom Izzo fan in the world. But he has probably the most passive-aggressive attitude on the planet. And, and I, I think it's actually funny. I, I don't mind it. It's kind of like the I'm not mad, but everyone else is mad. But, you know, I'm not complaining, but other people are complaining. The Donald Trump, uh, Andy Isaac, our buddy bit. I'm going to pull this clip real quick, Ben, if you can throw it up there. He insinuated that Michigan State was better off just not playing those COVID makeup games. I'm curious for your take on this. Let's play the clip real quick. We came back and played those three games. As I look back, would I have been better off not playing them? Did I hurt my team some? Maybe. But uh, you know what? We did what we were supposed to do. I look around the country. I see some teams that played a lot less games, and I think that's some benefit. We're battle-tested, man. We've been through it all. Expert at like the, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, I don't know. I mean, some people are saying he, he's, he's the master at it where he's not really bitching, but he's throwing it out there. He wants it on the record. Where do you stand on this? Do you think they hurt themselves by playing? Should they have just sort of sat him out? I think that what you can say is coming off that break, having practiced maybe like a day or two and then playing three games in six days, two of which are on the road. He, he's got a little bit of a point there. Um, Dylan Burkhardt of UM Hoops kind of brought this up and said, well, if they didn't play these games, then they wouldn't have essentially, you know, qualified enough, you know, in the metric system to be able to maybe made the tournament. I don't think I buy that. I mean, losing the 30 to Rutgers on the road and then backing that up by losing to 17 in Ohio State. I'm not sure that helped your resume at all. Um, I think that maybe they could have given a break and did what Michigan did where you maybe put a pause and you get a week worth of practice and you reschedule it. I mean, but you look at the way that the schedule ended for them and it was just game after game after game. I mean, they just came down the stretch. So was there really room to be able to do that? I don't know the answer to that. They kind of got the COVID bug a little bit late in the season. And I think just generally speaking, they probably had to do what they had to do. But, you know, I'm not too worked up one way or the other about it. I get some coaches ended up, you know, ducking some games, whether right or wrong. I think that shot was actually at Syracuse, not at Michigan. I know a lot of Michigan fans took you know offense to it, but I think Syracuse didn't reschedule the FSU game, which would maybe have given another loss and bounce it from the tournament. So it's one of those situations where, you know, I, again, I'm not going to be too worked up about it one way or the other. They had to do what they had to do at the end of this stretch season to be able to win these games or they weren't going to make the tournament. It just comes down to that. So it took almost pulling a rabbit out of the hat. If you want to point to, you know, this guy still has the chops to be able to do this job. I think you just look at the last two weeks and he said he squeezed every drop out of this roster in a must win situation over and over again against three top five teams in the country. You know, teams that have really, really still look good down the stretch. And that's really the enigma of Michigan State this year. They're good enough to beat anyone, and they're good enough to get blown out by an average team, and that's that's the year we have. And that's why we call it the weirdest, most infuriating season in Michigan State basketball history, at least in my lifetime. As Backing up, it was 100% about Syracuse. I saw the Michigan fans getting mad about that too. He's clearly talking about the slight of the seeding in that, and if you watch the whole clip, which we didn't play, but the whole interview, 
he's talking about the unfavorability of the first four. The whole context is why are we in the first four versus someone else who's not? It had nothing to do with Michigan. Michigan was not going to be in the first four no matter what they did or how many games they played. But, of course, everyone's a, a sensitive crybaby. Welcome to uh, 2021. So let's transition to UCLA. We're Not everyone watches this live. As we sit here now, we're two days away. A lot of people are going to watch this tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. What are your feelings on this, other than the fact you're going to need caffeine to get through it, 10 mm. o'clock tip Eastern time? How do you feel? There are two-point dogs, Michigan State. UCLA is a two-point favorite right now. The line's moved up and down right now, two-point favorites. Where do you stand on this game? Um, This is going to be an interesting one. So I started by just watching film because I, I maybe watched half a game of UCLA during the course of the season. Obviously, Michigan State played them a couple years ago. Um, but kind of digging into it, typically a Mick Cronin team is really built on the defensive end. Um, his Cincinnati teams are just really grindy, physical, like, teams that really just were good in the trenches and just made you work for everything. This is not a very good defensive team. I think they're like 86th in Ken Palm defensively. So not a very good defensive team, surprisingly pretty good offensively. And his teams are not really known for that. Um, the point guard, Tiger Campbell, Michigan state recruited in 2018. He took a few unofficial visits. They never officially offered. I watched him. Um, if you're looking for maybe what a floor for AJ Hogard is coming into this game. And I always try to maybe do some comparisons. I think Tiger Campbell's a pretty good one. He's a 10 point per game. His assist to turnover ratio is really good. I think 5.3 to like around two. So he's a guy that takes care of the ball. Really fundamental. He's only 5'11", and I don't think he quite has the size or athleticism or strength as A.J. Hogard does. But he's a guy that doesn't really shoot the three well. He's under 25% from his career. But he's made a living running the team, organizing the offense, and being able to get into the lane and kind of finding a way to score. So if you're looking for what can A.J. Hogard maybe develop into, I really think that floor when he reaches his upperclassman years is that. So if you want to take maybe a peek into the future when you're watching this game, that's kind of an interesting angle to do it. Uh, I really like the three wings that this team has. I think that they have three guys that can score at three levels. Um, and Michigan State's going to have to work a little bit on the defensive end. Jules Bernard's a lefty. All three guys are 6'6". So 6'6", 210". Um, I think that uh, the one guy's like 220. They kind of play like an undersized power forward that can shoot it. Um, but Jules Bernard's a sweet lefty shooter, can score at all three levels. Uh, Johnny Juzang's the transfer from Kentucky. He's the guy that's probably going to get the most name recognition just because he came from a big program. I think Jules Bernard is the better scorer out of the two of them, to be honest with you. Uh, he shoots better from deep, but he's above 40%. He's a guy that just um, looks comfortable. He's kind of laterally, you know, quick twitchy. And he's a guy that I think Michigan State is going to really have to lock down. Um, and then the third part of that wing trio is, uh, Jaime, what's his name? It's Jaime Jaquez. Yeah. He's a Mexican American guy. Love, love, love his game. If you're looking for what maybe Joey Hauser could evolve into, this is an interesting guy too. shoots the three pretty well. I think it's right around 38%. Uh, energy guy, a little undersized again in that power forward spot, but he does everything. He's a cutter. He's a diver. He's a guy that mixes it in on the glass. He can take it off the bounce. Um, again, just the three wing combination that UCLA, UCLA has is very interesting. A couple guys that come off the bench that shoot. And then the center spot's really kind of like a, uh, I would say like a face up four more than a true center. It's not a traditional back to the basket type guy. They don't really have one of those. Um, they've had a couple guys. One guy got injured. I think his name's Chris Smith, 6'9 forward. He was a senior. He got injured like eight games into the season. Uh, another guy, Jalen Hill, 6'10. 
He left the program, I want to say, in January. So they've lost some depth up the front court. They actually have a freshman who was recruited by Illinois. His name's Mac Antonine. He's a top 50 guy, uh, 6'9", again, 220. He's basically a high school uh, you know, senior. They brought him in a year early. He says, I think his first game was February 6th, I want to say. So he's a guy that just immediately he's played, he's played 10 games. He's kind of the backup big. Uh, so generally speaking, like not very strong up the one and the five. So I think that's advantage Michigan State there. But three guys that can all score from either deep or into the paint from the wings. Um, and I think actually probably a little bit better offensive team by the metrics for sure. But just generally speaking, I think they have more scoring punch than Michigan State does. Well, first of all, you're scaring the shit out of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sound because uh, I mean, you know, you actually get into this stuff. MSU Twitter, like me, who just like Google's box scores, like, oh, they don't look that good, you know, but your your takeaway is they're a solid team. And I think the fact that they're a favorite in this game, at least as we stand right now, speaks to that a little bit. I don't know if you're withholding this until uh, your subscribers get it. Like, do you have a feel, though? Like, do do they win? Does, does Michigan say? I never make up? predictions on that, so I'm not holding anything back in that regard. Um, if they can stop the pick and roll action, because that's really what, uh, UCLA runs. What they do is they kind of raise the defense. They spread it out on the perimeter. They usually have two shooters that are sitting in the corners or maybe even a little higher on the extended free throw line. What they do is they drag a big man, their big man from the top, and he sets a screen shade one way or the other, kind of at the top of the key. And they let Tiger Campbell make the decision. So he's coming off the ball screen. Sometimes he gets into the paint, sometimes he doesn't. But really, what they do is they raise the defense so there's not much help side on the backside. They roll the big man, and then really the corner guy is left with the decision. Does he have to slide over and help on that and leave open the corner shooter? And they got 40% shooters, you know, several. I think they have four guys that shoot above 35%, so they got a lot of shooting on the team. And you have to make the decision. So I think really the key for Michigan State, if you can individually stop that roll man, and again, Marcus Bingham is the perfect guy. His length is really bothersome, particularly if you're trying to throw it over the top of the defense. If, if they can stop that action and make them uh, just allow the guys to stay at home on the wings and make them try to beat you with the point guard and center, they're going to win the game. But if they get loose and it's an action where maybe we saw a little bit with Northwestern where they kind of backdoor cut us and they played on these high pick and rolls and they kind of opened up the middle of uh, the defense and really kind of just slashed us. If that happens, then I'm a little bit concerned. I'm very curious. I think the first four minutes eight minutes to seeing how they handle that action, which they just run over and over. And it's really simple. There's nothing much to it. They just have the right personnel for it. And I think he really plays to their strengths. Honestly, when I was watching now, I just thought to myself, why doesn't Michigan state do something like this? A simple pick and roll action with Bingham or the center. You surround it with a bunch of shooters on the floor, and then you evolve the offense from there. I just think he's smart in the way that he organized and structured the offense for the personnel that he has. Um, and so it'll be interesting if Michigan State can stop that. I feel pretty good about it. If it's the first eight minutes and they're getting looks in the corner and the roll man is working and he's getting some easy buckets, uh, I think we're going to have to be a little bit worried about it. To be yeah, with you. I, I think that's all fair. I used to say when Cassius Winston, particularly his junior and senior years, was running the show, if I could just look in advance of the game, look into the future, but just look at his number of turnovers, I could tell you with 99% certainty whether Michigan State won. Because he was playing 38 minutes a night, and he always had the ball in his hand. And I'm not saying he was turnover prone, but I'm saying if Winston's turnovers were zero, one, maybe, maybe two, Michigan State's going to win almost every time. 
if he had the occasional game, which he did of three or four or five turnovers, not so much. That was a big metric if I had to isolate one. For me in this game, and you've mentioned it a couple times, I wish I could know right now how much we see Marcus Bingham. Because if Marcus Bingham plays 12 minutes in this game, whether it's foul trouble and they just park his ass on the bench because he gets two quick ones or whatever it is, I think we're toast. I think he is the key in this game. He's so disruptive, even when he's not playing well. He's just long. He just is in the way. He's annoying to play against. You're like seven feet tall. You would be annoying to play against, Dave. Like those those long guys are just a pain in the ass. I I, I think he's the key. I think that's probably... I mean, obviously, 100% if Aaron Henry me. goes off for 40, all, all bets are off. Yeah. But absent of that, Bingham, they need him to play and play well. That's my takeaway. I would agree with that. And I guess the comfort, because I, I you know, maybe scared the fan base a little bit with this, one, but I would say the comfort is I don't think that there's a guy that can really contain Aaron Henry on the other side. I'll say that. I think Jules Bernard is too slight. I think Johnny Juzang, you know, has a little bit of length, but he's not a guy that, to me, physically or athletically, you know, is maybe quick or strong enough to stay with Henry. Um, so I think that this is a very good game for Henry to get going. Uh, it's I, I think it's really just going to come down to the defensive end. If they play a pretty clean game defensively, you know, this is, you know, I think this is going to be probably an ugly game in the 50s, to be honest with you, because even though UCLA can score the ball, they play a really slow possession. They, they take their time. Their tempo is like That's 300th crowded. in I mean, the country. Yeah. yeah, they really take the air out of possessions. And they try to make you work on both sides of the ball. They, they haven't done a very good job defensively of it, but offensively, they're extremely patient. And Tiger Campbell kind of embodies that. So the pace is going to be slower. This is probably going to be a reasonably ugly half-court game. And you need your best players to play best. And if Aaron Henry you know, has an efficient game and he's, you know, I can't remember what the stat is, if he scores 16 points or more, what Michigan State did. But I want to say that it was like one loss in the season when he had that many points, something like that. So he's a guy that when it goes well for him, it starts going well for the rest of the offense. And they just have got, they got to lean on him. Your star's got to come to play in March. And for me, he's the guy clearly for Michigan State. Yeah, this, this will be interesting to see what he does. I mean, he's in those blowout losses, he tended to be like three for 16 from the field. Like when he tanks, the team just tanks. I mean, right. They don't typically overcome Aaron Henry's stinker. So that, that I think he's the other key too as well. So let's say... Green and white glasses on, they get past UCLA by the grace of God, by the grace of their superiority, whatever it is. Yep. They get by them. You seem to like the draw. What is the ceiling for this Michigan State team? We agree in a vacuum they can beat anybody. I don't think either of us think they can win seven games. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I think they can beat BYU. BYU is a good shooting team. They're going to have an athletic advantage at basically every position. We're going to see Matt Harms again, I know, our Purdue hair flipping friend, um, seven foot three. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with that one. You got to play good perimeter defense on that team. You know, I think they were top thirty in both offense and defense this year. I, they don't have a ton of good wins, so that's you know that's one of those teams. You know, played in obviously Gonzaga's conference. They gave him one half. I think that's the one half that I watched at BYU this year. I haven't dug into a ton of film to see the personnel, all the rest of it yet. Um, but I would say that just athletically, they match up extremely well again with them. And then you kind of look at what would maybe present itself the next time, you know, Texas. Oh, Texas is a weird team. Veteran core in the backcourt, really, really athletic 
in you know some positions on the wings in the front court. Do I love that matchup? No. Do I like Michigan State and Tom Izzo with a you know a a quick turnaround there prepping against Shaka Smart? Yes, I think you know. But three games in a short span again. What does some of these players have? Again, you come back to Josh Langford and just I, I think if one player kind of got screwed with having to play this playing game, he's the guy that I'm pointing to that said like, could have used another two days of rest and just like see if you can get him even close to what he was in the midseason. He grabbed. At 15 points, 16 boards that Illinois game, and it's gone downhill from there. Like, we need a version of that guy where he's locked in, his legs are locked in, and he's just giving you everything he has, and his body is responding to it. Like, I, I don't think it's so much a failure on Josh for not hitting shots. I think he was played into the ground this year by the staff. To me, he should have been closer to a 20-minute-per-game guy. They played him almost 30 in conference play. They just asked too much of him, in my opinion. And, and Gabe Brown is a more efficient score on all three levels. I understand that maybe he can't create that mid-range jumper. That's not a good shot for Josh. I mean, we've we've seen it over and over again. It's nice when he hits that. It's an inefficient shot. It has been for the whole season. So, you know, for me, I just would have liked to see a little bit more balance struck between those two. And, you know, we're at the point in the season where there's no way he's not going to play 30 minutes this game. So it is what it is. We just have to see how well rested he looks, because if he doesn't, you know, and then he plays and he's been struggling defensively again. I'm not sure who he guards, to be honest with you, of those wings that we discussed a moment ago. I'm not really sure there's a great matchup for him out there. If he's struggling, the staff has got to take him out and they haven't shown the willingness to do it this season. And that is also a little bit of a concern to me. And to throw that on the pile of this is Izzo's worst coaching job. The Langford's minutes have been completely mismanaged all season long. It, it's been and. Unlike Cassius Winston, who was running to the ground, this team lost, this program lost a national title because Cassius Winston didn't have a backup point guard and had absolutely nothing left in the Final Four. The guy was cooked, and I don't blame him. Langford, you mentioned it. They had Gabe Brown, a totally viable option to eat into. And I'm not saying cut Langford's minutes in half, but shave off five or seven minutes a game and kick him to Gabe Brown. I think that was totally mismanaged. But your takeaway seems to be this is an Elite Eight ceiling, Sweet 16 ceiling. I'm talking ceiling. It's not your prediction. Ceiling. Yeah. They're firing on all cylinders. They're ceiling. I mean, if they make the second weekend, I'm feeling pretty good about how that happened. From where we came in the yes. beginning of the season to here, if you make the second weekend, I think we should all be celebrating. Final Four is a do. pipe dream, right? No chance. I don't. I just don't see it. I mean, yeah. they would have to go on an epically hot run to be able to do it. Yeah. That all the pieces would have to be clicking at the same time. You give me that version of Rocket Watts in the rematch of Michigan game. Yeah, okay. Maybe we can we can talk about that, but are we going to get that guy? You know, I think we've seen during the course of it, he's obviously had a lot of struggles, particularly, you know, just in his own head. It was great to see him play a, a game like that in such a big spot. His mom came to see him play for the first time, obviously emotionally. You saw that picture with him and Izzo. Um, you know, was that a turning point and maybe their relationship and, and what his future is at Michigan State? I really think so. Um, but it remains to be seen how the rest of the season looks for and kind of, you know, can he use it to spring himself into a better offseason? That, that, those are all very interesting questions. And I think, you know, as we wind down this season and we're looking ahead, I think there's a lot of things to be hopeful about. But I think there's also some things that uh, it'll be very interesting to see. I think it's the biggest offseason that he's had you know, maybe his entire career to see where the direction of the program is, how willing he is to maybe change some of what we saw went wrong this season. I think they need someone to go on, like if they're going to go on any type of run at all, they need someone to go on like a Goran Sutan 
type run like he did in 2009. I actually I talked to Sutan about that a year or two after the fact he had graduated. Uh, he was actually at Rick's uh, during the summer, so he was back in town. And I, you know, I said like, where where the hell did that come from? I I said I always thought you got a bad rap. Like, where did that come from? And he he told me that Izzo told him on the eve of the tournament, look, I know I've been hard on you. You know, I think you've had a hell of a year. I want you to just forget any negative thing I ever said. Just let it fly. Like that was eve of the first game. Mm-hmm. He didn't even pop off the first game. Eve of the tournament is Hotel Sutan. Just fucking let it go. Like yeah. just I, I I basically I've been a little too hard on you. Just play loose. I want you loose. And then the rest was history. People forget Sutan was really good in the final game against North Carolina. He was like the only one that showed up. He was like fourteen and ten in that game. They got bombed, but he actually played really well and was the MVP of the regional prior. So I, I think if somebody goes on some, you know, Rocket Watts goes on a three-game run where he's scoring 20 points a game, that's the type of thing that could happen, but no one should predict it. It's not surprising if the University of Michigan goes on a Final Four run, and I want to transition to them. Sure. They are the third most likely to win the national title in Vegas right now. Some have them fourth. They're anywhere between six, seven, one. We'll get them eight to one. They're one of the three or four favorite teams to win by the odds makers. We're not going to do 40 minutes on Michigan, but I want to do at least five. Where do you see Michigan going? Are they title contenders without Isaiah Livers? Because I assume he's done. I don't buy that he might come back. Yeah, you never know with the stress fractures, I guess. I just don't know what kind of timetable. I mean, it's we saw it. not good. I know. I agree with that. It's just, it's one of those things where it heals up, but then does he go on the floor and test it out and it starts hurting? Let's assume later. he's out. I okay. think that's safe. Yeah. Assume he's out. Um, Could they make a final four with him out? Yes. I do think that the draw is reasonably generous if you're looking at kind of across the board. You know, Gonzaga got a reasonably favor wand, Virginia. Still, uh, it's possible that maybe some of their personnel can't come with that. They they had the COVID late, so we don't know what's up with that. Them and Kansas, Kansas are kind of in the same boat there. Missouri, whatever. Missouri, Oklahoma, Oklahoma's kind of had a black backslide to finish the season. So I think that Gonzaga probably has a pretty comfortable path to. I would expect them maybe to see Iowa, who they've already seen again. But you look at kind of Michigan's, you know, path to at least maybe the Elite Eight. And you got to feel like they have a pretty good shot to do it. You know, I, I people are a little bit concerned about LSU. It's kind of like a sexy name out there. Oh, they got a top five offense. We played them a couple years ago, poorly coached, completely undisciplined. They want to all play hero ball. They play zero defense. I think Michigan will eat them for breakfast. I really do. I mean, maybe a couple of these guys pop off and, and they make it a close game. But if Michigan comes in disciplined and plays their game, I don't think that LSU really has a chance. And St. Bonaventure, to my understanding, is a pretty good team. And maybe LSU doesn't even make it out of the first round there. Uh, then you kind of look at Florida State, who's had an up and down, up and down, up and down season. Not somebody that I really trust. I, I'm not really a Leonard Hamilton fan myself. I think that he's a mediocre coach who gets really good talent. He develops the talent decently well. I just don't think he's a very good X's no coach. I don't think he's a good in coach. not a master tactician. No, I don't yeah. think so at all. So... You know, you look at that top, I think obviously the path, the Sweet 16 is nice. And then you kind of flip it around and see, you know, maybe that Elite Eight matchup. Who do I think comes out of that? Probably between Bama and Texas for me out of those two. You know, obviously Michigan State's down on that side. I I don't really see it, but I think 
you know, Texas and Bama, two tough matchups there. Bama kind of has employed the, you know, threes or layups philosophy. Nate Oates is a guy that we need to keep our eyes on maybe four or five years down the way when, you know, Izzo eventually hangs us up. Who knows how long he's going to continue uh, to be he, coaching. He's going to be at like Kentucky by then. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like Cal Parry or something's going to happen. Like, yeah. I don't know, but he's a guy that Michigan State should keep on the radar. I think yes. he coached in Romulus, right? So he has some ties to Michigan. Um, a guy that's really done well in recruiting and, you know, to both sides of the ball. Alabama's really always been a football program. And he's kind of turning that in and, and they're responding and pumping a ton of money into there. So maybe he just doesn't leave and he just builds something down there. But Bama and Texas are interesting. Um, and so. You know, are, are they in a tough spot there? I think that's a really, really interesting matchup in the Elite Eight. Could they win that game and make it? Yeah. Are they anything more than that Elite Eight Final Four team? Oh, I mean, it would have to be an upset on the Gonzaga side. If they see Gonzaga without livers, um, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hammer Gonzaga unless it's double digits. I, I just think Gonzaga would, would probably overwhelm them there. And maybe that take will come back to bite me. But um yeah, I think Elite Eight is a fair and reasonable um, kind of, I wouldn't say ceiling. I would say maybe it's midway. Like they, I think they should make it to the Elite Eight. I think that's a comfortable floor for what they have. They still have a ton of different pieces. They're going to kind of have to reform their identity as the tournament continues. But I think it's a very comfortable path to at least the Sweet 16. And you just build some momentum going in. If for some reason Liver's surprise returns at some point on this journey, you know, they're right back in the thick of things. All bets are off if Livers yeah. is back. I mean, right. I, I think we agree there because he's such a game changer for them. And, you know, he's their heart and soul by all accounts. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about the coaches in this state in the month of March making national news for kerfuffles on the court. Tom Izzo two years ago with Aaron Henry. That was friendly fire. I, everyone on the planet except people in East Lansing were clutching their pearls on that one. It was Juwan Howard's turn. This is a little bit of a pivot, but I, I'm curious for your take on this. Juwan Howard going after Mark Turgeon of uh, Maryland, their coach. Uh, we're not going to break down everything, but let's play the clip. I'm curious for your take on this. <laughs> but here is what happened. See Juwan Howard starting to yell out something at the other side, and then there was some jawing back and forth between he and Mark Turgeon. Look at this. I mean, it, it got really testy, Sean. It, it did, and the official did a good job of stepping in before what was a bad situation could have gotten progressively worse. And now, what is always a tough job if you're an official, especially at this level. I mean, we'll, we'll throw up the, the Izzo interaction for the viewing audience from two years ago just in the background, but well, this is the perfect example of everybody's got to be such a goddamn hypocrite always. And I'm sorry. I get, I get called a fake Spartan because I call out Michigan state when it's warranted. I get called a Homer. If I call out Michigan when it's warranted, I had absolutely no issue with Tom Izzo's thing two years ago. You know who else didn't the supposed victim, Aaron Henry, who, who loves Izzo and said it was just two guys at a competitive moment. And all the Michigan fans and other people around the country were just aghast at the horror and the unprofessionalism of Tom Izzo. And two years later, their coach 
has to be physically restrained, which Tom Izzo, Cassius Winston came between Izzo and Henry to calm it down, that he didn't have to physically restrain Tom Izzo. Do I think Juwan Howard was really running up to him to beat some ass? No, (laughs) I don't. But the fact is... Turgeon was squaring up on him for sure. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I I put my money on Howard uh, for that one. But it's just so funny that, like, Two years ago, everybody, Tom Izzo is an angry midget. That Michigan fans call him the angry midget. That's their term for him. And it's, it's just like two years later, their guy has to be physically restrained, which I would argue is much worse. It's not a guy yelling at his own guy, fired up. It's like you're charging the guy in an aggressive matter. The legal definition of assault, an unwanted lunging, batteries touching, assaults, you know, going towards somebody. It's a legal definition of assault. And I don't think any of this is a big deal. And I'm consistent on this. I didn't think Tom Izzo's thing was a big deal. And I don't think Juwan Howard's thing is a big deal. It's guys puffing out their chest. You play pickup basketball, from my understanding. Haven't you ever, like, gotten in someone's face at the Y with no intention of actually hitting them and vice versa? Like, you just, it's just, it's, I'm not saying it's good, but it's just not that big of a deal. And all the Michigan State fans had their turn to clutch their pearls Two years ago, it was Michigan. What did you make of that Juwan Howard thing? Am I crazy? It's just not no. that big of a deal to me. No, nothing burger on both ends. I mean, I, I thought it was funny with the Tom Izzo thing. That was just like a Tuesday night in the Big Ten <laughs> for us, and the national audience got to see it, and they said, you know, it was all this, there's no place for this anymore in college basketball. I wasn't, I wasn't even surprised. You know, you had to basically just just like, oh, like people are taking offense to this. You and, nailed it because yeah. I didn't know – I saw it live and I was like, right. oh, Izzo's pissed. Yeah. I didn't realize until like three hours after the game because I had yeah. logged off that it was like a big deal. It was a like, huge story. Was, yeah, I, I didn't even up. know. I was like, oh, wait, that, yeah. what happened? Did I miss something? Yeah. And Izzo's always said that Aaron Henry and his parents handled it, you know, like champs. And we've seen the, the evolution of what Aaron Henry became. I, I think he had a press conference, I don't know how many weeks ago, a week or two ago, where he just basically said, you know, Izzo's always been on me because he wants me to be a better basketball player, but what he's made me is a better man. And, you know, it's not for everybody. It it isn't. Coming under here and playing for him, it's not for everybody. Um, But if you go through the gauntlet, you go through the fire, nine times out of ten you come out with a really, really good relationship with Coach. And, you know, there's a trust and a bond that lasts long, far beyond what you did on the hardwood. And I think – you know, I think everything that we've seen this season and the struggles and the frustration that we've seen, I, I try to just buy in a little bit on some of the relationships that he's had with the players over the years. And Aaron Henry is a peak example of that. But as far as the John Howard goes, I thought it was hilarious. I, uh, I, it. I saw on Twitter, uh, somebody said, if you saw Mark Turchin coming towards you, you'd think that he probably had like an iPhone problem and like he needed fixed <laughs> yeah, more than he's that. squaring up on you or something. So I, I think it's great. You know, there a little bit of the fire went out of the rivalry. And uh, I listened to the beat podcast with Brennan Quinn and a couple other guys were on it. And they were just basically speaking about the rivalry. And there was certainly amount of respect that ended up coming during the beeline area where it was really hard, I think, for Tom Izzo to hate a guy that he thought was running a clean program and he trusted and respected and liked. And I think that eventually we're going to see some fireworks between these two. I really hope we get it. I think that there will be a blow up or an interchange between them at some point. I mean, he hated the Fab Five. Those Fab Five years when he's getting his ass kicked and like, like, there's no love lost, at least for the player that Juwan Howard is. I think there's some respect for what he's done, particularly in year two for the coach. 
But at some point in time, that's going to boil over and we're going to get to see two of what I would argue is maybe some of the hotter heads in basketball going at it. And my biggest takeaway is like good for the rivalry. We've seen basically, you know, Michigan's beef with everybody. They've beefed with Illinois. They've beefed with Maryland. Like, there's a lot of hatred in the conference Ohio right now. Ohio State was mad that they were kissing the logo. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, right? I think there's been a lot more hatred recently in the league. Like, Illinois and Iowa kind of had a little bit of hatred that have always been rivalries. And I just think, generally speaking, it is nice to see a little bit of just, like, chip on the shoulder and, and not, like, you know, patting everybody on the back. I like to see it. I mean, for me, that's competition at the highest level means you respect the guy but you also want to punch him right in the face and i think we're going to see it over the next couple years we're going to have something where izzo and howard don't see eye to eye on something i think it blows up and i'm all here for it i I love it and i I co-sign literally everything you just said and and again this isn't like an anti-michigan thing because like i said michigan state fans took their turn to be the pearl clutchers everyone's a hypocrite except you and me you you and i are the only two non-hypocrites on the planet but just everyone just relax with the, with the the pearl clutching. Oh, it's so unprofessional. What look what he did to Aaron Henry. Meanwhile, Aaron Henry has given 37 interviews subsequently saying yeah. that he loved it. We had Matt McQuaid on this show. We talked about that incident. I can't remember if it was even on the air or off the air. He talked about Izzo's culture of sort of constru- I think he called it constructive hostility, where it's like constructive it's, hostility. It was something I like, like that. I mean, I'm yeah, I think that's what it was. Constructive hostility yeah. or something like that, where it's like it's ed, they're on edge. It's competitive. It's it's intense, but it's mutual. They yell at him too, all yeah. the time. I mean, Winston was telling him off like uh, by the end of his uh, junior and senior year, uh, every other game. So it's like it is mutual. It's not like just uh, you know Aaron Henry moping in the corner, you know. So like yeah. Raymar Morgan did. I mean, God bless him. But um, yeah, that whole thing was overblown. Like everything is. Everything is stupid. But I love it. I'm with you. It's like. Bring it on. As long as no one's like actually injuring somebody, you know, I don't want anyone to throw a chair and like, you know, uh, decapitate somebody. But absent of that, scream. What was the Kansas game? Was Kansas versus who last year where that happened? That's what I mean. That's over the line. That's that's too far. That's like a step and a half, two steps over. Oh my God. I don't condone that. That's not like, oh, the whining. Was that Kansas, Kansas State, or what game was that? It was was Kansas. It was definitely Kansas. Sylvia D'Souza, right? It was, yeah. And then he left the program after the year, but he had the chair raised over his head. I think it was was Kansas State. WWE or WWE. WF, that's too like, far. That's yeah. a bridge too far. And that's that is like that's not like oh you're a liberal snowflake if you don't condone chair throwing. Like, you know? But but like guys puffing their chests out saying like hey who do you know here at this party? Like come on, everyone went to college. Get over it. So that's where I stand. So you did a great job. We're gonna pivot to our last segment, the okay. speed round. You're a big fan of the show. Let's get to the speed round. You know the deal. I don't know. I don't know the steal. I've been tuning in here and there. I can't say I know the it's speed round. I'm ready for it. It's a joke. You're supposed to just pretend like you. Oh, watch. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think yeah, all my guests watch every minute of my show? <laughs> Maybe Andy Isaac, but that's because he's a good guy and he feels bad for me. He considers me a charity case. So <laughs> normally the speed round is all over the place. It's a lot of sports, but I'll ask you like, hey, what'd you think of John Kerry in 04? I, okay. I kind of throw in some wrinkles. All right. A little different this time because it's the tournament. It's a big deal. <laughs> It's it's a major uh, story going on right now. So we're going to get into a tournament edition of the speed round. Hmm. I threw this together. This is Justin's all-time Izzo-era MSU lineup. Now, remember, we have a lot of audio listeners, so I'm going to read it. And here's the parameters that I set for myself. Hmm. 
starting five and one sixth man. No bench, no eighth man, no ninth yeah. man. Just starting five and a sixth man. And the parameters are, if I had to pick a team and I got a gun to my head and they have to win this tournament with this rules, this field, all that. They have to win the 2021 tournament or that trigger is pulled. My brains are uh, all over your nice Ivy League suit. This is the six I would pick to keep myself alive and with a pulse. Point guard. This is where I had the most trouble, as you might imagine. Yeah. I went with Mateen Cleaves. We'll talk about it. Shooting guard, the two, Jason Richardson. At the three, small forward, Denzel Valentine. At the four, Draymond Green. At the five, Xavier Tillman. Sixth man coming off the bench, Gary Harris. Now, yeah. I'll defend this really, really quick. I have six guys that can shoot. Six guys that can defend. That was really important to me. I am well aware that my tallest guy is like 6'7". Yeah. <laughs> for the record, I'm aware that that wasn't an oversight. I chose to go with all guys that could hit a three if they're open or remotely yeah. open, and all guys that are B-plus defenders are better. That was my logic. They can all defend. They can all shoot. And I got a couple of really good passers. First question for you, grade my team, grade my six. And make any changes. He's got to throw that back up. Throw that back up for me, Ben, so I can see it one yeah, more time. Ben, I'm ben digesting it. it. Ben will pull that up. Um, Again, for the listening audience, it's Mateen Cleaves, Jason Richards. The combination of Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman really is that sexy. Uh, I would have loved to see those two play, especially if we're getting, like, peak each of them. And that's I, what we're – that's I the think, re yeah, peak in this Of course. They're MSU peak. It's tough for me. Does Adrian Payne get into that mix, particularly with the, you know, his senior upper, year? Yeah, his senior yeah. year was unbelievable. Having a guy just be like that. I, I, had a I hard, think Jaron yeah. Jackson is probably in this conversation, and maybe I would slide Gary Harris up in the starting rotation. I know Jaron had, you know, a mixed bag. He had foul trouble. He only played 20 minutes per game. But if you brought him off the bench – and he's the sixth man in the mix, a guy that can shoot 40% from three and, you know, one defensive player of the year in the conference. That's kind of an interesting mix for me, too. What do you, I mean, it's tough. Obviously, Mateen won the whole thing and will always be a legend, and we never get to know what Cash was able to do in the tournament. I think that's my, of all the seasons, and I'll say it over and over again, my biggest regret is not seeing Tillman and Cash get to run it back and see what they could have done. Yeah. Because would, would we have had as much discomfort and just frustration with this season if we had gone to back-to-back Final Fours and we got to see those two play again? Like, we would, it would have just all been a little bit of gravy this season, it's I think. It's the ultimate what-if. I'll, I'll justify my answers for a couple of your points. You mentioned okay. Adrian Payne. Yeah. I have a hard time picking one of the only two guys that went four years with Izzo and never made a Final Four. That's just for this parameters. We have to win the whole thing, and I'm gonna. Put, I, I'm not saying that's the only reason. Well, I the UConn year was his junior year. Was that right, or is it senior? That was his senior year. That was that was their Appling. That was their last like chance. To it was Appling, Payne, nope. Dawson, Harris was a sophomore. Yep. That okay. was yeah yeah Appling, who was like the best player in the country in December and broke his wrist and then just sucked. But I, I left Payne out because it's like, look, we're trying to win a national title. I like Payne. It's like he was a close cut, but it's like, it, it, you know, Tillman, I think, is just a better player. And, and look, I'd like to have a couple extra inches, but look, Tillman could shut down anybody. I mean, he was in Luka Garza's face. That guy's, what, 6'11", 7 feet tall. I, I can lose it. Yeah. you got to give up something. There's no perfect dream team. 
with this scenario. And the other snub would be Cassius Winston. Look, at the end of the day, Mateen Cleave's better defender. And this is a team that does not need Cassius Winston to carry him. This is a team that just needs to play to their potential. Mateen Cleaves is going to get in your fucking face if you're slacking. Yeah. Cassius Winston didn't really show much of that. Winston is better if he had a lesser, like if you have a worse supporting cast, I'd rather have Cassius because he's yeah. more likely to carry a team. But a team that just needs someone to keep everyone in line and not fucking around, Mateen is the pick there, in my opinion. What do you think about Bryn Forbes possibly getting himself close to that? I know he wasn't a great defender, but one of the purest shooters that we've ever seen come through the program. I mean, his senior year was unbelievable. And Denzel and him, that combination, I mean, 2016 hurt so bad because those two were just I like Bryn. I like Bryn a lot, but... Who you Gary Harris, better player. Denzel Valentine was the player of the year, and Jason Richardson, better player. So they're yeah. just better players. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, what did Jay Rich shoot from deep? You'd have to, oh you'd man, have to tickle my brain on that. I don't one. know. I, I don't know if yeah. Tom have. And I, what I, did he play? I mean, he played more of like a small forward, power forward position. Yeah. He, he was, like, I know you slid him up he, just he for purposes. He was a swing man. He was dunking. Yeah. I mean, he was a drive. He, he, yeah. could, he could shoot a little bit, but I, I just, I, I like my team. All right, you're giving it a B plus. I would give it a B plus. Yep. What, what changes are you making, Winston? At I'd ha- I would have to look at the the numbers for Jason. Um, I think that would be. What about Cleves Winston though? Let's let's just leave it there with Cleves and Winston. Who do you take at point guard? It's got to be one or the other. No one's picking. You know. Yeah. Tum tum there. I mean, if you have, like you said, the rest of the supporting cast, you're probably taking Mateen, but. Yeah, that's right. My, so you my love, heart you breaks love a my team. For that. Yeah, you I love like, my I like team. Most of it. I would say there's like one position maybe I'd consider training out. That's I like it. I like my my brother at Adrian Payne is his center for the record. But yeah, uh, I mean I I just I'm a Tillman slappy. So you know you gotta I miss him so much this year. It's unbelievable. You and I both love Tillman. We'll get to the next. Just one, just for the record, uh, Jason Richardson shot 38 percent for his college career. From three? From, from three. From three. Oh, okay. From the field, he was uh, 50.3 for his career. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because he was driving all the time. So that's a good point. I wasn't. I didn't know that he shot that high, and so now maybe I would bump you up to an A-minus. Know, A-minus, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's probably a pretty good I like my collection roster. of it. That yeah, team would win, that team would win the national title like literally every year. Yeah. <laughs> That's why there's twenty. <laughs> that team is stacked. So all right, here we go. Next one, your favorite March Madness moment. Mm. There have been some great ones. We threw. I mean, one you up have there. the picture right up there. We have the picture of the Corey Lucius shot, which is why I am married to my wife. We have told that story many times, and there's a painting on the wall now of that uh, moment. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just single moments, that's probably going to be the one. But, I mean, there's been just been so many good moments over the year. I, I would choose that one. I okay. think that shot. I mean, just what it meant to get to that spot, all the rest of it. I'm a, I'm a huge Draymond Green fan to see him advance to again. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that, the moment for me. Probably. That's mine, too. Yeah. I, I didn't pick the picture, but Ben nailed it. Yeah. On the yin to the yang, the flip side. Your least favorite, and there's this is a little bit more competitive for me. I have like five or six, but this is your round, not mine. Oh did did you have to put Middle Tennessee State guy? I mean, and that has to be up there. I mean, I went to the Syracuse game and just frustratingly watched 
this team continue to jack threes and not find a way to get into the paint and score. The rotation was not good. I don't know. 2016, I think, was the most disappointing as a Michigan State fan because of the fact that I thought they had the goods to make a Final Four run, at least. Um, you know, that was a tough season for 2018 with, with the Syracuse and everything. The the ESPN OTL report comes out. I don't think that team was really ever the same after that, to be honest yeah, with you. Kill them. Yeah. Yep. So I would probably lean 2016. But from a personal standpoint, going to that Syracuse game, I wanted to like stab my eyes out. And I just like the sense of dread that I felt when I'm just like, just hit one three and it changes the game. Just hit one three, it changes the game. And this team could just not find a way to hit one three. I I, I don't know. That's I'm going to get in trouble with a lot of people with that game because I am like one of the only people that defended the Ben Carter thing. Not saying I loved it, but the team had. 37 wide open shots and didn't make anything and it's like if you make yeah. if you if you shoot 21 percent from three on wide open looks you win that game by like seven so it's like you know you can kill the coach all you want the guys didn't make shots and they got good looks so I don't, i'm not gonna kill tom Izzo for the team repeatedly getting wide open threes and not yeah. making anything but that's where i stood i actually i went on such a rant about that that ben carter sent me a direct message on twitter thanking me for <laughs> defending him yeah. <laughs> so i was yeah. i was like come on you guys are blaming Izzo. it's like i would have liked to see jackson more too to me the um the worst moment was in the same run as the best moment 2010 you have the high of the Corey Lucius buzzer beater to send you to the Sweet 16. That was obviously the highest of the high, but then you fast forward. Obviously, Lucas had gone down. I can't win Lucas in, um, in that game. But this team was robbed of a national title as far as I'm concerned, or at least a fair chance at it. The Gordon Hayward no-call following Draymond Green yeah. against Butler in the Final Four, which is just objectively insane. I mean, the evidence is clear. I, I like I, He didn't block the shot. And the, and the shot fell two feet in front of Draymond Green when he took a 20-footer. So either you think Draymond Green is is like disabled or he was fouled. I mean, there's no yeah. – like he didn't miss the shot. He didn't – I mean, come on. Like, what are you doing? That was a terrible one. It was clearly a foul. Yeah. And if he is – if that foul is called, they're down one. He just has to split to tie the game. Yeah. He's like, he was like a 70-some percent shooter. Everyone's like, who, who knows if he's going to make the free throws? Okay, he'll split and he'll go to overtime. Like, yeah. He's going to make one. But anyway. That, I don't want to go off a tangent here, but I will say this season has been one of the worst officiated seasons that I've watched in college Bo, basketball in a long you time. you love Bo. I thought the watchability of the NCAA product has continued to go down the drain. And there's two different fan bases, right? Basketball fan base is split between NBA and NCAA. And the NCAA's argument is like, listen, these kids are playing their heart out. You're affiliated to the program. You're going to have ties there. Like, I will always care more about Michigan State basketball than I ever will any type of professional program. I went there. I bled for it. I spent four years, like, with some of the best memories of my life. You, you can't take that away from somebody who, who has that college affiliation. But in terms of watchability and product, uh, NCAA basketball is in a rough spot right now. I just think that they call the games way too tight. There's no freedom of movement. There's just, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so been really tough. It's so yeah. easy to fix. Tell the rest, get the fouls down. 
That's the end of the meeting. Yeah. Call them in. I want the fouls down. See ya. It, it's a four-second meeting that could completely fix the college game in terms of the product yeah. watchability. I'm with you. It's they terrible. pick something every year to change and make more foul, foul calls out of yeah. it. It happens every It's like, oh, you can't put a hand. No hand checking. Yeah. Change that. The charge call. Like, There's something every year that they change to incorporate more fouls into the game. And it's it's become... You know, for the average fan, somebody who's not just tuning in for March Madness, it's a really hard product to watch. And I would like them to get that a little bit more under control because I obviously just a crazed maniac about it. Well, and it goes beyond just the watchability of the product. It's actually like affecting the integrity of the game, especially with the five foul roll. If you want to call it this way, you got to change it to six. Change it to six. It's an easy solution. You had five fouls when the game was called looser. And now you're buttoning down the hatches and calling it a lot tighter, but the fouls haven't changed. So, okay, I may not like this ridiculous calling a foul every 37 seconds, but if you're going to do it, change the allowable fouls because we've all been there. This isn't specific to Michigan State. Your top player, your second best player, gets the second foul with nine minutes left in the first Mm -hmm. half, and they're done. That's a quarter of the game that they're on ice. It's so nobody bad. wants to watch that, especially in the no. tournament. Does anybody want to see their team like you're seeing a primetime matchup? I, we saw it in the Gonzaga UN, UNC where everybody was in foul trouble because they were nonstop blowing whistles. A physical game. Nobody wants to watch the substitutes play. You know, no, eighty percent of the game. Nobody wants to see it. So it's bad watching and it's bad for the integrity. So yeah, yeah I'm with you completely. Small pivot going out of the tournament for one question, but still on basketball. My producer, Ben, put B. Oh, I like it. The next coach of Indiana basketball, they always think they're going to get, you know, uh, Pat Riley. But they actually, in my opinion, get a really good one this time. I think they get one of their top three or four targets. Beard, Beeline, whomever. You think so? I I think they get one of those three, four, five elite guys. I don't think they, they come in. I don't think they pay the buyout. Which hey, I love it. They call it a philanthropic buyout. Like yeah. the guys donating to like food for the poor. <laughs> like, just, they called it philanthropic. I saw we that. had a donor make a philanthropic the donation. Ten million you know dollar what buyout. Philanthropy is. I mean, to get on. Archie Miller's ass out the door. That's pretty good. That that's that's some interesting um, charity there. Like, yeah. That's, a, that's I wonder if they can get tax exempt status for that donation. <laughs> Next but, coach of Indiana. Um, that's tough, right? I mean, it's a program that historically has had such a proud tradition. They fired Tom Crean for recruiting well and making several sweet 16s. And Archie Miller obviously just did not live up to the expectations there. I was super high at him. I think that you kind of looked at some of these younger coaches that come over and took, you know, big name programs. Uh, Chris Max, one of them too, doesn't make the tournament this year you know, lost to Minnesota, you know, a couple of seasons back in the tournament, like a couple of these programs who hired kind of up and comers that didn't quite work out. That's kind of the nature of the business. Sometimes the fit just doesn't work. But this fan base is at the point where they're just like calling for somebody to help. And I think the expectations and where the program is when you view them nationally, you know, kind of this millennium is in such a far disrepair from what it was during the Bob Knight years. Um, so did they get a program? And I've seen, you know, Scott Drew floated around, Chris Beard. I think Chris Beard's buyout is really big. Um, I, I think he's originally a Texas native and he has family down there. He's divorced, I believe, and his kids are down in Texas. So his buyout's huge. He has family ties in Texas. He's just started a program from the ground up. Would it make sense for him to bounce? Is it, is it an upgrade? Yes. 
Um, does it happen? Yeah, I don't know. He seems like a guy to me that just likes getting down in the trenches and trying to figure it out. Uh, this team is not as good as the one that they had that made the national championship, but he's continuing to put out a good product in Texas, and I think that they've really appreciated him. So do you going to move someplace and start from square one to rebuild a culture? Expectations sky high. He's already getting paid a ton of money. Um I'm not sure about that one. Again, Baylor has one of the best recruiting classes coming in next year in the country. Are you going to give that up to then take over this program with starting from square Talking one? Talking about Scott Drew. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think that we've gotten to the point where is IU really an upgrade for some of the coaches that have been talked about? John Beeline's an interesting one. I know that name always gets thrown out. I think that he is going to come back to coaching do they want to take uh, what's his age? Ben, you're gonna have to look that up for me. I, he's he's getting like 70, up there, right? Yeah. So Izzo's does, almost seventy. Does Indiana want to have a situation where he's really just a placeholder for the next guy? Or are they looking for the next guy? And so Beeline's interesting, but does he stick around long enough or have enough, you know, to give left in the tank to be able to turn this program around? Because I think it's a I think it's four or five years. I think they're really, you got to recruit the state. You got to recruit the state, which he stopped doing. Purdue is taking this class coming up here. They have two top 50 kids, uh, Trey Kaufman and Caleb first, both are kind of power forward types. Um, Purdue got both of those kids. So you lost your top two in-state products to the neighbor down the road. That's kind of been little brother for a while. Well, that's not the case anymore. I think there's a there's a hard look to say Purdue has been in a much more stable position with Matt Painter and has just had a better program history, you know, this last decade plus. So for me, uh, I th- I think it's a harder fit to find than you would think because the expectations yeah. are sky sky high. The the difference is, you know, there I, I saw on Twitter a couple of people call them the Michigan football of like basketball, where it's like the the brand sort of exceeds the reality, but. The one qualm I have with that is we've seen Indiana win multiple Big Ten titles in the last decade with Tom Crean, who I think is a B-minus coach. And he, good great recruiter. recruiter. Yeah, yeah, very good recruiter, but a B-minus coach. And if a B, at best, B-minus coach can win multiple Big Tens, I think one of these elite guys can win big. I Look, I, I think they're a sleeping giant. I don't know. Maybe I'm a, a cornhole. But um, yeah, I think... That program is going to get somebody good. I think they finally get it right. Would love to be wrong because it's bad for Michigan State yeah. if they ever get off the mat. Who do you think it is then? I'm curious who, where you think they would go. I, you know, I, I think it's going to be from that list. I'm, the list, I, I agree with you on Beeline. I think it'd be kind of a weird. I think they want somebody a little bit yeah. younger. They want someone He's that's going to be there. Six. 68, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's a that's tough. a little bit there. They if want a guy for his early years. 60s. Yeah. yeah. If he's early 60s and yeah. he's shown the ability to do it. I was in a locker room. Shout out to the locker room app. I told you about this a little yeah, bit before. We have to get it. you on in there. Uh, but John Fanta, who does Big East coverage, he did like analysis. I think one game this year. Great, great, great mind, uh, basketball mind. And he floated the name. Obviously, that's probably changed a little bit. But McDermott from Creighton, uh, just the guy that coached the Midwest, kind of knew it. Obviously, something's come up with that in terms of. You know, a huge yeah, that, snafu. I don't know how was, you say that. And this yeah. day and age, I mean, just uh, absolutely brutal comment. A phrase that isn't even a phrase. Like, <laughs> I, that, that's like, the worst part like of it's it. It's one thing if you use some, like, retired racist trope from, like, 37 right. years ago that you somehow, like, haven't retired yet. He just, like, made it. I don't even know where that came from. It's like right. You're in Nebraska. You're not, like, yeah. in the 
in the deep south or something. Yeah, you know, for I, reference, I didn't understand I mean, that. For the people that don't know what we're talking about, you know, my mom watches the show. Yeah. Uh, McDermott, the coach for Creighton, made a remark to his players, paraphrasing slightly at halftime, which he admitted to making was he wanted everyone to uh, stay all in, two feet in. No one leaves the plantation. We have to stay on the plantation. Yeah. This is a white coach talking to like 11 of the 13 guys are african-american yeah. it was a rough look it was a bad look um he's that was an interesting that, that was an interesting yeah name to float around and obviously that's 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 not happening stuff. but i think that that kind of guy somebody that's gone to you know I, i'm not sure they're they're gonna get the top name guys i really don't think so i think that they gotta go find a guy that has proven maybe that he's capable of winning in a spot that you wouldn't expect a guy like uh, who's a Virginia Tech guy? I think it's Mike Young. He came from a smaller program, came over to Virginia Tech, has shown a couple of years some consistency. Like, I think you need to find a guy that's an up and comer that's shown he's capable of winning in a tough conference, maybe in a smaller, or you go find you know like a big fish in a small pond, or a guy that's shown that he's can win in a bigger pond at a non traditional program. Like I yeah. think that that might end up being more of the hire than it is some of these like sexy top brad stevens is thrown out and all the rest he would of it, be a but, home run i'll yeah. make a bet with you and i i trust your honor to yeah. be true about your feelings because i don't know how else to structure this i don't want to hate the names i'll bet you a beer cocktail or whatever yep that you are gonna say that was a great hire by indiana okay name, whatever it is and i you're an honest guy that's that's okay not saying oh it might be okay you're right. gonna be like you will objectively be impressed by their hire because okay. i don't think they go to the well for their philanthropic buyout yeah <laughs> for 10 million dollars yeah archie miller if they didn't have some big fish in mind that's just uh, by big fish in mind is a different thing than land in the big fish there's plenty of people who've got them on the hook and said fair. here i'll give you a bunch of this money you come up here and they take a peek at uh twitter on the fan base feed and they just see the indiana f- i mean the indiana fan base is desperate for a winner there yeah. and i think that what comes with that is a really short lease uh, leash, I'm sorry. And I think that it's just, you know, one of those spots where the expectations are higher than what the program is going to be at. And wow. just just briefly touching on this, I think Trace Jackson Davis probably goes to the NBA. I think that's probably assured. He's, from my understanding, he's a second round guy. You, as Michigan State coaching staff, have got to kick the tires on that guy. No, you, you re- you've been, you've been recruited, talking to your partner. That's soldier you talking now. Recruited, yeah. You recruited him by all means. We're probably the second fiddle in that recruitment. I think there's at least a pitch to be made that says, you come oh. give us one season. We're going to make you the type of defender. We're going to make you a more versatile offensive player. And if you give us one season, we're going to get you into at least the back end of the first round. I, I'm just saying. There's a pretty good track record out there for putting centers into the league. I think at least you got to pick up the phone and say it. Oh, Probably he doesn't 100%. take the phone call, but. 100%. You have to kick the tires. And yeah. look, if I have to frame Foster Lawyer for Grand Larceny to open up the scholarship to make that transfer happen, I'm willing to be an accomplice in that crime. So let's move on because I think this is the longest speed round topic ever. <laughs> but we are near the end. Only a few left. What double-digit seed makes the Final Four? Now, I'll preface this by saying probably none of them. It's only happened five times. It's only happened five times. Most recently, Michigan had the gift of playing the Little Sisters of the Poor, Loyola, Chicago, in 2018. 
only happened five times. Michigan the State. Final four? You couldn't even say like the sweet 16. You said the fi- final four. Final four. Double digit seed. Look, I don't want to prejudice you, but doesn't Michigan State have like one of the best? There's no good answer for the record. There's no right. good, if you look at this field, there's no one there you're going to be like, oh yeah, I feel great about that 13 seed. <laughs> like, like, so no matter what you say, someone's going to be like, oh, you're a moron. But right. it, that's sort of built in, that's baked into the cake. But I think Michigan State has about as good a chance as anybody <laughs> of the double-digit seeds. There's, there's no great answer. I would agree with that. Um, man. Thank God Ben printed that out. Yeah, no, I know. It's true. <laughs> I, would, I would not have known where to go You're with reviewing this. that like me looking yeah, at this Zapruder film. I think that, obviously, Michigan State has as much talent as anyone. Can I say that if Maryland gets past UConn, that I think that they can give some fits to some teams along the way. Yeah, like show them I, some stuff. There has been, you know, kind of an up and down season. Not a tournament team in my estimation. When the season started, they kind of found an identity. They play in a weird small ball lineup where basically every guy is a Malik Hall out on the floor. It's kind of a strange mix. Do I think they can actually get there? Probably not, but I do think that that's kind of an interesting pick if they get past UConn, which maybe they're not even going to be able to do. But Michigan State, I guess, in that double-digit seed line, you know, you're going to go bad. with a Hall of, Hall of Fame coach and you got Aaron Henry. It's not a bad yep. pick. They all, they, I mean, they all have 10-plus losses. So, I mean, there's, there's no <laughs> – or, or they, you know, four losses, but they were playing like you and I at the rec league. So, all right, two left. The Selection Sunday show, tedious or terrific? The bracket mm. selection show. I thought they did a quicker job of it this year. Um, I like the CBS selection show. Is it CBS the one who ends up eventually having Chuck and all those guys come on? It's the NBA guys that do it. Isn't it TBS? I know. Is it all, T? Maybe it's TBS. That's right. Or that's TNT right. Or whatever the fuck. Yeah. They're all. They're all like three yeah. of them own. Like, uh, I think. I think it, it was fair today. I think they've done it slower over the year, where they draw the whole thing and they talk about each side of the region. Yes, they've definitely changed the format now, where they're releasing it and you got a commercial kind of in between. But I think that I think there's still excitement there. I can I tell you, it. I was like holding down to my butt cheeks at the end of that. We're getting down to the it. last butt, you know, last bracket, the last section, and you're just like. Uh, are they going to leave us out this year? Like, I stay off there was a Twitter. thought that came in the back of my head for sure. I, I, I stay off Twitter in the same way I stay off Twitter for the NFL draft because it constantly gets spoiled. I love the drama of like the name flipping over and it's like, yeah. you know, to play the Gales from Iona or whatever the fuck. Yeah. I, think, I think it's great. I, I do too. I, I mo- so like, you and I agree on all So what? Day. It was like 20, 25 minutes, right? And the was, drama of the easy. flipping and yeah, all the rest it of it. It wasn't bad. I got to get your buddy Solge in here because he he disagrees with me on everything. So you and I agree too much. He'll yell at me for an hour. Last but not least, who wins it all? We've talked about Michigan and Michigan State for an hour. I don't think we're picking them. Who does win it all? It's the Zags for me this finally. year. Finally. You think yeah. they finally get it done? Yeah, First I think that's over the hump. Since Indiana. You know, I was kind of just looking across the board. I think that if Livers does not return, favorable matchup if Michigan or Texas or Alabama comes out of the East region there. Um, man, it's hard for me because there's just so much chalk. It's It's... Illinois got the worst. We didn't talk about this, but Illinois got the worst draw of the one seed. I can't believe I that. Their, their reward for the Big Ten championship was just getting screwed. Loyola Chicago is a top 10 Ken Pond team. 
They could potentially see them or a Georgia Tech team that's athletic and is on a hot streak, won the ACC tournament. So your second round matchup is uh, one of two, like decently, maybe the best matchup they see outside of probably North Carolina. Um, You could have Tennessee or Oklahoma State. You probably don't want to see, like, I mean, Cade Cunningham versus Io DeSumo, two of the best lead guards in the entire country. That would be an extremely exciting matchup. But if you get down to the, the crunch time, I mean, that's a 50-50 type game. Um, you know, the bottom of the bracket isn't as tough. West Virginia is kind of looming there. Houston's in that mix. But I thought, I thought, you know, as far as draws go, Illinois really, you know, got screwed on this one. The does not care about that Big Ten title game. And we saw it in 2016 yeah. when Michigan State got screwed. Yeah. Where winning the Big Ten title meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. They need to move that back. Let's just make a requisition. We'll yeah. get a petition signed. Move I'll it back to the game being played on Saturday like most yeah. of the rest of the conference leagues. Because yeah. they're clearly not it. building that in. The only time they built it in was, what, 2012 when Michigan State and Ohio State played the Jared Sollinger year in Indy. And that was like the play-in for the one seed. Like the winner takes the one seed, the last one seed. And other than that, it's been like, what, nine years since that game meant anything in terms yeah. of the seeding? It's ridiculous. Yeah, so you got the Zags finally I have the getting Zags. it done. I think Jalen Suggs is the difference there. I think that Drew Timmy and Corey, you know, Kispert are really nice pieces, but Jalen Suggs is going to be a top three or four NBA pick next year. And I think you saw in that BYU game that uh, uh, this is whack, right? It's the whack uh, tournament championship game or whatever. When he turns it on, he's as good as any player in the country, and. You know, if you look at Baylor, you look at Michigan, you know, even to a degree, Illinois, I'm, I'm a big Io DeSumo fan, but I think Jalen Suggs really has the ability to elevate this Gonzaga team. Um, not maybe as special defensively as maybe some teams he's had, but offensively just an absolute clinic in really, really, really tough matchups. So I think that this is the year they finally get over the hump. Uh, but if they get upset, don't hold me to it. So, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I won't because I don't know what to make of this. This is like the least confident I've ever been. I, I'm just I look at my bracket and cry. I don't even deal with Who did you choose? I'm curious from your side to win it all. Mm-hmm. I haven't submitted anything yet because yeah. I, I haven't decided. I, I actually <laughs> you're not a submit and then like go back and change your mind. You're just like one time through. I like to I like to right. real I overthink everything. Okay, I but I gotta say I really. Like this Illinois team, yeah. and it'll break my heart. The Big see, Ten tournament, the Big Ten team wins it. It's not Michigan State exactly. knocking on. The I like, I like that. Like we're the year. last Big Ten team to win, yeah. even though like the dinosaurs were still roaming yeah, the earth when we won the title last. But I like that little. Which yeah. is the, it's like the most bizarre stack is like this year it's the best conference yeah. the team hasn't won a, a title. The conference hasn't won a title since Christ died. But it's like it's a good conference. So yeah. at the same time, it's bizarre, but. I, I if I had to pick right now, I really like the Illinois team. Yeah. Gonzaga, I would say if they had Michigan or Gonzaga's draw, I would be right there with you. It's a tough it's the toughest draw. You're you're absolutely right. But the right. draw is brutal. It is. It and is. a rematch with Baylor, like that's it's this is one of the few years where I'm just like kind of rooting. Obviously not Michigan. I hope there's not chalk on that side of it, but the rest of it, I hope there's chalk like from Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois. Like I would love to see an Illinois Baylor rematch after they kind of like I mean, they took them to school at that point. I think this is a completely different Illinois team at this point. So it'll it'll be fascinating to see because I just think that the first weekend, all these lines are going to be set and all the Vegas lines are going to dramatically change after we kind of see. I just don't think we're going to know 
in terms of upsets one way or the other, but I think that covering spreads and just the way that these lines coming out is going to be fascinating in a year that, you know, it was really hard. There's not a ton of crossover between a lot of these mid majors and some of these, they just haven't played these caliber teams. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm just happy we're having it. Let's just Thank say God. that. Seriously. Yeah. And, and, you know, knock on wood, composite wood that, uh, there's no hiccups. <laughs> composite wood. I, yeah. You know, I honestly, this Gonzaga thing, they get more uncontested layups than any team I've ever seen, Like, yeah. but they also play a lot of shitty teams. They, mm. they have a couple good wins on their resume. There's no question. I mean, it was Iowa. They just, they, I will. They hammer. They beat yeah. Kansas this year. Yeah, yeah, and that win didn't seem great midseason. Then it started to look better and better. It's like this yeah. is went on, but you know they're certainly not a bad pick, and they're the chalk in Vegas. So I had a blast with you, man. David Klein coming back. It was great to have you. I appreciate it. You're yeah. the man. So, I, yeah, I was glad. To, I was glad to do it. And uh, once the season ends, whatever it may be, I think that this is going to be the most interesting off season, as I said, for Michigan State basketball we've seen in a long time. There's going to be attrition. Yes. We've seen now that they're going to dip a toe into the transfer market, which I'm so happy. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. They have been rumored now, you know, at least for three or four guys that I've seen where they're having some mutual interest. Uh, so I think that Tom Izzo has realized that he needs to revamp the roster and it's going to be the Wild West. I think the, the immediate eligibility is going to be granted for one year and this will be the most flooded transfer market we've ever seen. And building a team and rounding a team out through this is going to be very interesting. I hope he does a good job. You better take advantage of that if you're Michigan State yep. because you mentioned it. That transfer portal, it's like the population of Guyana. Like, it's extensive. It's going to be crazy. So, if you know, if you're going to sit this PSU's one out. PSU's entire starting five is basically in. Yeah. And there's several good guys that I would, we Byron Jones. We could Michigan State Nittany Lions if we wanted. Just take, <laughs> they'll take the whole lineup. Hey, but if you don't get these guys. Guess who is? Yeah. All the teams you got to beat. Yeah. So if you sit this one out or if you get the 44th player on the list of 50 and that's all you do, that ain't going to cut it because yeah. all the teams that are sort of next to you, just below you, just above you, they're going to be adding those guys. And there's some good guys that that point guard, that that little five foot nine guy. Yeah, Tyson Walker. Tyson Walker. Yeah. 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 From Northeastern. Yeah, the guy won the the defensive player of the year in his conference, and he puts up 19 points a game. He can he can jack it up, I and mean, he can play both ways. Yeah. I mean, he's he's smaller than my producer, but he he can play. Yeah. So I you better start making some moves, or you're going to have some problems. I am buying up all of the Max Christie stock. Yep. I don't You should do it. I, I'm on board too. Yeah, I'm I know on the you board. you too. I'm, I'm on I'm on the hype. He's more mature than me and he's like 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's guy's got an old soul, but I'd love to have you back when all the dust settles mid-season, mid-off-season. Mid-off-season. Yep. We got to set the table. I might beg for you to come back. Before that, if this team goes on a miracle Final Four run, if this, can, team, if this team goes on a run and they make it into the second weekend and they win a game or two, then we can we can reconvene. We'll, on that. We'll, we'll I would reconvene. be I would be shocked. I, I think come you're in safe. Here, I think you're color safe. my hair purple and we can do it. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get really uh, crazy in here. But uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Second appearance. I think you are the best in your lane. I think you're the best at what you do with Michigan State. You and Ant Wright, just in general with college basketball, my two favorite guys to follow. Everyone should follow you. 
Highly recommend your VIP membership at SpartanHoops.com. Appreciate that. You know I'm an early supporter of you that. Were, you came in early. $4 a month. It's not too much to add. Co- best, cost best of a buy. cup of coffee. Best buy in town. And the coverage is just insane. I learned things I didn't even uh, think about with basketball and the way you break it down. You just do a great job. I want to thank Ben, the great and powerful Oz on the other side <laughs> of the wall. Came in with a couple assists today. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, he, he, he yeah. kind of held your hand. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's it was some, nice. Yeah. It, he got me the bracket, too. He had the bracket printed out. You didn't even have to ask. Beeline's age. He was, he was on the money there. It's oh, tough. yeah. Ben, great job by you. Our graphic design guy, Eric Williamson, who is uh, no relation to Zion, is sitting on his couch right now in his boxers watching the show. So thank you to Eric for all that you do. And thank you to our audience. We're back. We're, um, I guess, in a good mood. I'll let you know in two days how I feel. And I will be either recapping the worst time Izzo season ever or celebrating and getting the green paint on next time I talk to you. I don't know where it's going to go. It's a binary choice. It's going one way or the other. I'll either be thrilled or I'll be uh, throwing dirt on the grave of the worst season in Michigan State history in my life. That's where it's at. Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro, David Klein of SpartanHoops.com. Got to follow him on Twitter. Got to go to his website. Seriously, four bucks a month. Like, come on. It's you're an idiot for charging that little. I you you could charge forty four hundred. I might have to fight. I might have to kill somebody, but I'd pay it to read your content. You're the man. I loved having you again, Ben. Great job by you. No flubs today, Ben, by either of us. Neither one of us fucked up. But I did make one mistake, and I did not mention our sponsor, Ben. And we want to thank them on our way out the door. The Smuggler Son. Smuggler Son is the finest wine. And this is a great family, the Kipper family, Farmington Hills, Michigan, originally. They have this winery out in Napa. Check them out, virgilsvineyard.com. The Smuggler's Son wine is my favorite wine. It's the best wine in the world. There it is. And we still have that little 10% discount. Look, this is like a $45 bottle of wine that should be $200. It's fantastic. I drink way too much of it. virgilsvineyard.com. If you use the discount code SPIRO, S-P-I-R-O, at checkout, you get a 10% discount on the already best buy wine in town. Check them out, virgilsvineyard.com. Hey, David, good luck Thursday. Let's grab a cocktail. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely. Be te- I'll be I'm taking off Friday. I mean, I think that goes without saying. So, uh, I'm not, if my coworkers are listening, but if I happen to come down with you know <laughs> rabies or something, um, pray for me and my family. So anyway, it's been a pleasure. Uh, go green. Go white. Justin Spiro, Spiro Avenue. We'll see you later this week. Thanks.